we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to study your word and ask for your guidance and leading as we as we look at it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Revelation chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And unto the angel of the church of Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know your works and tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of these things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days. Be you faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. He that overcomes shall not be hurt in the second death. And, all right, so that's the end of this uh, letter. So we're going to look at this, the, the city of Smyrna. Uh, it's a coastal city. It's very, it was a very wealthy city. It was a city of commerce, easily defended, uh, very rich city. Their chief export was myrrh. And they were distinguished for their schools. They were a very educated, educated town. It was one of the ten many towns that claimed to be the birthplace of Homer, uh, and Aris, and uh, and the and the and so it was. You know, they were a good part of schools, and you said they, they were known for school for the school of rhetoric and philosophy. The, you know, they 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 prided themselves in education. So it was a place where the educated were. They would be. We would kind of think of it as kind of like a New York City, a, a place of business and commerce and, and uh, you know, well-to-do people going to, yeah. going to the museums and oh, the yeah, art shows well. and, yeah. you know, or, or in L.A. or in L.A., you know, L.A., the better parts of L.A. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a prestigious city and it was uh, a place that many wanted to, to be able to go to. And so this is the city that the second letter is to. And this one says, this, these things says the first and the last, which is a reference to, remember, Jesus in the last chapter. He was, the very, he was before all things, and he's going to be there after exactly. all things, uh, which we're eternal, so there is no after. But he would be, even if there was an end of eternity, he would be after that. So, uh, and he was there before all things. And so he's saying, I am the eternal one. And there's, there are people that try to say that Christianity has invented this idea of eternal life and, you know, uh, and that Jesus never taught these things. But these are, the, these are some of the descriptions that you're giving them that, that we show us that all of these doctrines have been around since the very beginning. They're not, they're not new. And, and if you think about that, Ecclesiastes tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. Okay, and this is a very true statement for us. There is nothing that's brand new. All of the different religions out there are just rewraps of all the religions that have always been out there. They, they've masked themselves and changed the names of things, but they're still the same religions. I think that's really cool because I always thought, like, this is a rainy day, never it happened again. But then when you explain that, it makes sense. It really, really does, and I understand. So I don't say that anymore. <laughs> I, didn't think, I never thought of it that way, but it is so true. Mm -hmm. And the group, all the different religions and everything are, are retreads of the same thing. Satan has never come up with an original idea. That was never here. That, that, that he has, hasn't used before. Yeah. 
Okay, so he retreads everything, and all these mystic religions are all just retreads of older, older religions, different words, different, you know, what we call the New Age, New Age is you know, the... I, I say like the gay rights, that was really bad thing, because they did those things, but maybe not use that word. They wouldn't use those words, but, but they... they had the same... Oh, yeah. Sodom and Gomorrah was yeah. judged because of it, yeah. because the, the homosexuals were running those towns, and... And you see that when the angels visited Lot, they were banging down Lot's door saying, send those guys out to us so that we can know them. And that wasn't get to know them and speak with them and, and uh, let's, have, let's dialogue all night. It was they wanted to basically rape them. And it's not the only place in the scriptures that talks about a city that's so full of homosexuality that they're looking to, to aggressively go after people. I don't guess before I really was into the Bible, I didn't think they did that back then. You know, figure, no, that's, they didn't do that stuff. Mm -hmm. But now, and I, really, I, can, I can't believe it. It's like the, this book is, 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 is written for now. Because nothing changes. And that's, what and that's why when you hear people say, well, how can you follow a book that's thousands of years old? Because nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Leviticus talks about all the deviant sexual behavior, and, and God forbids it, the and it's because it was going on. Yeah, the diseases and everything. So, I mean, there is nothing new. There is nothing different. Maybe we have a slightly different way of delivering some of it nowadays. You know, uh, instead of being engraved in stone like it was in the in the Greek and Romans days, with uh, you know with uh, sexual symbols all over the place. It's now in books and on the computer. So yeah, we have a little different way to deliver it, but it's still the same old temptation, same old tests. And See, that's what's amazing now, when I'm really reading, you know, this really could be done right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why when people really get into, anybody who tells you that the, the Bible is old and out of date has never read the Bible. Because once you start reading the Bible, you see how very contemporary it is. I read it before, but never really paid that much attention yeah. to it. It talks about not co-signing, and any financial advisor tell you one of the dumbest things you can do is to co-sign yeah. for somebody. Because the only reason they need a co-signer is because they don't expect them to pay the bill, so they want to go after somebody that can pay the bill. And when you co-sign for some people, most of the time, the co-signer ends up paying for it. You know, not always, not 100%, but probably the, even the majority of the time, the co-signer ends up paying for it, which means they lose out of their pocket and usually hurts the friendship of the, for the person that they co-signed for. Yeah, see, I don't know which one you said it at, but a long time ago you said something about if we would have, if every, everybody would have followed the Bible, we wouldn't be in such a mess now. Exactly. And that's why it's hard sometimes when you counsel somebody and they go, well, what do I do in this situation? Well, if you'd gone back and followed God's rules in the first place, wouldn't you wouldn't be here. And now you want to apply God's rules. So I, you know, and it begins to be difficult. You know, If somebody's gone into debt big time and God said, don't go into debt, and they're going, well, how do I handle this now? Well, God's, you, you shouldn't have gone in there. So now let's figure out how you can, you know, what logic we can use to get you out of this, but don't take any more debt. <laughs> and so... Again, you follow God's rules. Somebody comes in and says, I'm pregnant with a child, well, you know, and I'm not married. What do I do? Well, you should have gone back at the beginning and followed God's rules, and you wouldn't have your problem. You have, yeah. Now you've got to take care of this child who isn't the problem. What you did was, but not the child that results from it. And yet the world will look at the child as the problem. And that's where it gets sad because they mistreat the child because all the child does is remind them of what they did wrong and how it changed their life. And so 
it is so critical if we would just take God's word and apply it to our life. Especially because, like, I read it, and I'm not that super smart, but I'm just so amazed. And I, I could see somebody that was really smart, and they know all the other junk. If they would read this, then they would be amazed, too. Yes. They really, really would. It's like... Yeah. And it is so relevant to today. It's like so you relevant to life. Over and over and over, always find new things. You know, I mean. And you always will. Yeah. You always will, and, and you find out more about how you live, and you read proverbs, and you learn how to live your daily life, and I like proverbs. and uh, you you follow God, you know, the God's rules, and, and protect yourself from problems, and and you know, this is all. Jesus said, "I'm the first and last." It's still still there. It's still pro- relevant, and it's still going to be there. And then he says, "Which was dead and is alive." You know, so he's there. I, I did die. Yeah. And this is just another one of those statements. And you remember when we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, we talked about, you know, the proofs that Jesus actually rose from the, you know, died and rose from the dead. And there are so many people who want to try to say, well, if he actually was, you know, ro- you know showed up after his crucifixion, he wasn't really dead. You know, and everything in the scriptures, all the proof of the scripture says, yes, he was <laughs> dead. Yeah, he was sleeping on the cross. Yeah, I didn't see him. Yeah, he just fell asleep. He was in so much no, pain, he, he just was, he just fell into a coma. You know, and somehow just in a dark cell, dark dark cave, uh, woke up, moved a rock, fought off the Roman soldiers, and uh, and left. <laughs> now none of that makes sense. You know, and it, it is, you know, but it's all through the scriptures. Jesus died and he rose again. The victory over death that that represents for us as Christians. He is the first fruit of resurrection and that's what we've been talking about in Leviticus when we talked about the feast that Jesus that first evidence of that and it says I know your works and again this is that idea that he knows them because he's watching them he's spending time looking at what's going on and you know this is I, I love this statement I know your works for us that should be something that really hopefully encourages us if our works are good and want, and we want them known and maybe it should scare us to get our works correct but even today he knows our works we're his children he watches us he keeps his eye on us we're not floundering around with nobody out there to help and see that's what's so cool because everybody out there knows I think he knows everything that I'm going to do before I even going to do it yeah yeah and but, but it, to me it's a comfort knowing that he knows everything he knows what I'm doing. He even knows what's coming down the road. But I want it to be good things. And I'm thinking, he knows that when I do something bad, he already knows that. <laughs> and he knows that's coming. And he died for it already. And our, our job is to confess our sins oh, yeah. to, to God and repent, which means to turn away from what we're doing wrong and back to God. And, that, you know, and I love the idea, I was taught as a child, you know, repent means to make a U-turn away from what I'm doing and back to God. And the important part of that is to God. I'm turning away from what it was I was doing and saying I'm going to go toward God. And God is so wonderful because as we grow, we're usually doing, we, we may be two steps forward toward God and one step back, but it's almost always if we're really trying, it's going to be more forward than, than back because we're, we're, he's going to give us the strength. He's going to crucify you know, maybe it's only going to be one step forward and three-quarter step back, but it's, we're still making a forward progress with him and, you know, keeping our eye on him because he knows our works. And, I, and to me, that's something that I, I love. You know, I'm not somebody he just said, okay, you're saved, now go do whatever you, you know, yeah. go, go do what you can. 
But then, like, this, this, this may sound funny or weird, but yesterday, I've been busy all day. There's been a lot of things going on, and I always do my reading in the morning, and I just got sidetracked. I said, I have to do it, so I tried to do it. I was up until 11 o'clock at night. I was still, I said, I have to do it. I have to do it. So he knew that already, that I, no matter what, I was going to do it. It might be 11 o'clock at night, but I did my over hour, you know, so. <laughs> I think that's kind of deep. But that's good dedication. At least you, you're, you're really knowing you need to get it done. Well, and I, I, I do, no matter what. I try to do it in the morning, but lately I've been slacking off. But I will do it. Yeah. But it may be in the afternoon, but I always try to do it in the morning. But, mm -hmm. but you know. Satan, I, I, I always say he's tried to distract me. <laughs> that ain't going to work. I'm going to do it still. Yep. He knows our work, and he says, and tribulation. And that means to be pressed, to be the, to be oppressed, to be you know uh, afflicted, tribulation. Now in America, we don't know what tribulation really is. I've heard people say, I, "I'm I'm I'm suffering for Christ," and they're usually meaning somebody made fun of them or or you know tease them about Christ. And it's like, well, I don't know about that. You know, I had one person said he lost his job, and he said it was because he was being being tested by God, and I'm going, I don't think so. <laughs> and what were you doing? Well, I was talking, I was witnessing to a lot of people. I was, and I go, well, they didn't pay you to witness. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, and that's not saying you don't ever talk about God on, on the workforce, yeah. but, you know, uh, when you're being paid to work, you do your work. <laughs> now, during break, you can do what, you know, whatever you want, but when you're being paid to work, you work. And it's critical for us to be able to honor God in that way. And then it says, and your poverty. Now remember, this is a rich town, and he says that his people are, are suffering in poverty. Now I don't know what that meant to them other than, you know, literally the poverty means to be without. without yeah. <laughs> to be without, so I don't know what they were being without. But you look at what God said about him. He says, but you are rich. And that rich is bountifully uh, given bountifully and it has an implication of that they were abounding in Christian virtue and and uh, eternal possession so even though they felt like they weren't getting anything they weren't they didn't have any wealth God's saying just wait till you get to heaven <laughs> and we need to be that same way it's not meaning that we have to live in poverty God has never said you have to live in poverty to be a Christian he also didn't say you have to be rich to be a Christian you know, that's the name and acclaim it that says, you know, hey, you got to, you know, you, you want money, just tell God, you, you know, and claim it in Jesus' name and you're going to have it. No, <laughs> that's not what it means either. But this whole idea when we gave the definition for peace on Sunday, being content with our earthly lot, whatever it is, okay? If God says, I want you to be right on the edge and you're, you're going to have to trust me every moment of every day, okay, God, I'm going to be content. Or he blesses us and we have a lot. And we say, God, okay, I'm happy with what I've got. That's usually what I say. I'm happy with what I've got. And a lot of my friends and my family say, don't you want to move someplace in a bigger place? I said, I'm happy where I'm at. I really am. My house mm -hmm. is not fancy. And all I tell them, I said, you know what? My house is an old house. I said, but I have it paid for and they can't take it away and the roof don't leak. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy. And that is, that is a great way to be because... A lot of people who are wealthy are always worried about losing everything. Because uh, a lot of people who look to be wealthy aren't all that wealthy. You know, they have a nice car, nice house, and nice furniture, and they're still paying for it through the nose every month. 
Uh, they don't own anything. They're, they're maybe even making a big check, but every bit of it is going to pay the bills and they're, and they're never ahead. But like I even learned already, like too, like I never thought of it that way. All the money that you have is not your money, it's God's money. <laughs> Being his managing for his money. And he wants yeah. to see how good you're doing it. Yeah. And you can use and some of it on yourself, but yeah. you, he wants his part of your money to go to him. And now when I buy something stupid, I say, sorry, God, I spent it on you. <laughs> and that's not necessarily I mean, wrong. Oh, but no, it's, <laughs> it's not. I mean, no, it isn't. I wouldn't go now, if you waste no, lots of money, yeah. most of the money that way, then it's probably wrong. Yeah, but just to get yourself there, a treat, no, it's no, not a big deal. Did, but now, no, I'm really more, you know, I do, I pay my bills first, and then if I have extra money, I'll buy, you know, yeah. what I need or want sometimes. Yep. Want is very little now. It used to be a lot. <laughs> yep. And he says, I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews but are not. And this is going back into that whole idea of the Judaizers that Paul always had to deal with. You'd go in, give the grace message, you're saved by grace, and they'd come in and say, well, that's a good message, but <laughs> you need to follow all these rules and all these laws. If you really want to be a good Christian, you've got to obey all these laws, and they'd list you out your laws, which in their case as Judaizers would be all 613 laws that they wanted you to, to obey. You know, in some Christian churches, it's not the 613 laws, but it's whatever laws, you know, the church wants to say you got to do these things to be a good Christian, and you know, and I'm not going to go that route. I'm going to go. It's between each person. We're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and that means to go before God and say, "Okay, God, you know, you've told me I've got to follow this, you know, and I, I, and you read through the scriptures, and sometimes sometimes you're told to do things that aren't necessarily thou shalt not, but you read the principle and say, "Oh, I can't do this because." <laughs> This principle is how God's told me to do it. And this is why I say so often, two people can be doing exactly the same thing and one's sinning and one's not because one has been told not to do it by God and one, and one hasn't been. Okay? And, you know, and I'm not talking about the thou shalt nots. I mean, it's obvious when God says thou shalt not commit adultery. If you're committing adultery or fornication, you are sinning. There's no two questions about that. Uh, but somebody who's smoking a cigarette, one could be sinning and one could not be sinning, depending on what God has spoken to them about it. And so we want to be looking at this and saying, God, help me know. And in this case, these are saying there's some out there that are saying they're Jews and they're not even being good Jews. And then he goes, they're at the synagogue of Satan. Now, this is very interesting that he uses the term synagogue because synagogue is a Jewish term for their assembly on the Sabbath. Where they meet. But it's not the temple. It would be their local, we would call it a church. Okay, they called them synagogues. They, you know, that wasn't, it was their assembly place where they would learn from the Old Testament and have their lesson. Because not everybody everywhere could make it to Jerusalem to go to the temple. I mean, if you lived in Smyrna, you weren't going to go to the temple every Saturday to go, go worship because it was a, you know, it was a couple months to get there. So you would meet in the synagogue, your local synagogue, where, where a teacher would teach and you would pray and, and you'd give your, your, tithe, your tithes and offerings would go there, just like we do with church. And so, he, but he uses the word there of the synagogue of Satan, using a Jewish term of fellowship, but saying these guys, they're not even being Jews, they're following Satan. They're trying to apply Satan's rules, Satan's lies, Satan's way of doing things. This is very strong language that Jesus has given to this church. 
Because you're dealing with people that are trying to lead you into worship of, of the devil, basically. Okay? They're getting you out of grace into the law, and they're not even, they're not even living up to, to it. So this is very powerful. This is very powerful when he's doing, doing this. Verse 10, fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Isn't that a hard thing to do? Fear not when suffering comes? To see suffering coming and go, oh, you know, and God says, don't fear. And this is where, when we know that he's the first and the last, he knows the beginning from the end, he knows what's going to happen to us. This is where the more we believe that, the easier it gets to not fear the suffering. I'm not going to say it's ever going to be easy. <laughs> you know, if, if they say they're going to string you up uh, for being a Christian or they're going to you know, put you on a cross because you're a Christian or boil you in oil like they love to do back in those days or, or put tar on you and turn you into a human torch. I mean, I'm not going to say there would be, that would be easy to look at. My suffering is I do to myself, like injure myself. <laughs> it's not perfect, it just happens. But he's saying, you know, you are, and, and, and I love this, fear none of those things which you shall suffer. God has never promised Christians that we weren't going to suffer. That is one of the lies that I hate hearing so often when people share the gospel. Come to Jesus and everything's going to be okay. Yeah, as long as you mean that eternity is going to be okay, yes, that's fine. But that's not what you're telling this person when you tell them that everything's going to be all right. Jesus himself said, they hated me, they will hate you. And we look at what they did to Jesus. We look at what was done to martyrs all through history and say... Wow, this is, this is a big deal. This is something that is, God has promised that we're going to suffer. And this suffering is something we need to be aware of. We need to be understanding that it is going to come our way. Some will be lesser, some will be greater. The suffering will be in relationship to how well we know him. I think that gets you stronger too. And it makes, yeah. suffering always makes us stronger. Uh, just as if you want to build muscles. Now, I could lift this little tiny book all day long, and I'm not going to build a muscle by lifting this little six-ounce book. <laughs> now, maybe, maybe if I did it all day, every day for the week, I might put a little muscle in. But if I go and I lift that TV up all day long, <laughs> number one, I wouldn't be able to lift it up all day long, but I would start building some muscle because it is putting resistance on us. And this is why God sends tests our way. It will test our spiritual muscle. It will test our spiritual place. Do I believe what he says? You know, okay, God, you're going to have to send me a test that proves that I believe you. And the more we know him, the bigger the test has to be to, have a say, to be a test. And we cover that so often because I want people to understand when a test comes your way, it's not necessarily because you were bad and... You know, now every once in a while, if you misbehave, you will be judged, you will be punished and have something that you might consider a test that is for punishment. And if something bad comes your way, the first thing you should look at and say, God, you know, is this punishment and did I deserve this? And repent if you did and, and come back. And if you don't, if you can't, don't see anything that you have to repent of, and then it's, okay, God, help me get through this. And this was the problem with Job and his friends. Job was suffering and his friends automatically figured Job, you did something wrong. You deserve this. You know, their, their first thought wasn't this is a test to see how faithful you will be. It is you misbehaved and you, and you're going, and, and you deserve this. And they pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. 
And you know, when you look at Job's answers, his answers were always basically variations of, yes, I know I, that I'm a bad person, but I've confessed and offered it, so I don't deserve what's come, come my way. You know, but Job really believed like they did. When bad things happened to you, you did something wrong, and he could not understand in his life why bad things were coming, because he didn't have the advantage of chapter 1 and chapter 2, knowing that God and Satan were in heaven talking about him. Well, it's been kind of the opposite life. This is the thing happened a couple days ago. I knew I was doing something wrong that I shouldn't be doing because, like, amazing. I told myself I'm always going to wear gloves when I move rocks. And that time I didn't, and I'm not saying anything bad except that is teaching me a lesson. I have to do what I say, and I've been... You know, pushing it aside, and so. Yeah. And in that case, fault. you know, in that case, you know that you oh, yeah. did something that caused yeah, it. Yeah, I figured this is my fault, so it's no big deal. But I'm just not going to do it again. So next time, now when I see a rock, no, don't move until you get your clothes. Yeah, but 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 there are many times when things happen to us that don't seem to be any real reason behind yeah. it, and that's when we just say, okay, God, I don't see anything. If I if I'm missing it, show me. But other than that, we confess and. And you know, and we just say, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to depend on mine's you. Mine mostly is he's working on me is my patience. Well, all of us need some work on patience, probably. I mean, I want it done now. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty much the same way, God. I wanted it. I wanted it yesterday, and why isn't and it taken care of? So then I'll do it. And then I get messed up because I did it too fast or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. In verse 10, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried. All right? And, and this word tried is the one I want to key in on. This word literally means to, a, to attempt a thing, to test, to ascertain its quality. God does this to us. He will test us to see, are we who we say we are? Are we being who we say we are? Do I believe what I say I believe? And this is the big thing because it is so easy to read the Bible and say, wow, God, I really believe that you're, that all things work together for good. God, and I'll use that verse. That's one of my favorite verses. God, I really believe that all things work together for good. Oh, do you really believe that? And all of a sudden, you'll be hit over the head with something that just crashes you and makes you, makes you think. And, goes, and then you have to say, uh, okay, God, do I, do I believe this? You know? And this is what he does all the time. God, I believe that all things work together. Okay, here's your test. Do you believe this is for good? Even though it makes no sense to you and you can't see it, do you believe this is for good? God, I believe that you're going to provide all my needs. Okay, you just lost your job and your, <laughs> and your car broke down. Uh, God, uh, you, you know, how am I going to pay all these bills now? And God said, well, you said I'm going to supply your needs. You know, this is where we want to, you know, God, I'm, I, God, I really know. I, I, love, I love all the people in my life. And I know that you want me to love people. Then God will put somebody that's very hard to love right in the middle of your life. That's another thing i got to work on. You know, God, I, you, you've taught me to forgive people. Then somebody will do something that, that needs to be forgiven for. And it's like you, you have a decision to make. And this will happen all of your life. These will keep happening all of your life. Every time you learn something in the Bible, you'll be tested on it. This is something I learned early on in, 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 in learning to teach in ministry. It's been told to me over and over again. Pastors, watch what you teach because you either need to teach on something you've already gone through or when you teach it, be ready to go through <laughs> what you just taught on. Because your God's going to say, do, you taught on that. Do you believe it? And you'll be going through the test. 
And I remember one of the very first times I taught, you know, I was in a teenager one time and I was doing a, the youth Sunday where the youth took over the service and I was the pastor and I taught on love. And within three days I was in a fight at school. <laughs> and it's like, I failed that test big time. <laughs> okay, God, I just taught on love and I beat this kid up, you know. <laughs> uh, you know but we do. When, we, when God shows us something, be ready. Really be ready good. for the testing of it. Because like what you just said a couple of times, how would you just see the opposite one? That was a test. Yeah. It was a test. And, wow. and we, fail, we fail a lot of them. <laughs> we all fail a lot of them. You know, it, it's hard when we're learning to love somebody and God puts that very unlovable person in our path that's, that, and says, okay, I want to see you love this person. And you know, the problem is usually in the middle of the test, we're not thinking about it being a test. You know, it's not like in school when they said, okay, everybody take out your paper and pencil. This is your pop quiz. God sends us the quiz and we don't realize it was a test until after we flunked it and go, wow, that was a test. I didn't do very well on this test. And so that is the way God does it. He doesn't announce his test. He just puts us in positions to apply what we know and what we believe. And he'll continue to do this. And this is what he says. I'm going to send some of you into, he's going to send some of you into prison so that he can test you. Well, we don't literally get to go into prison in our, in our country yet to be tested. But it may happen sooner or later that we'll end up going into jail in prison for being a Christian. Right now, our tests are testing our, our patience, testing our love, test, testing our, our forgiveness level, testing our trust in him to provide. All these things that are out there. Yeah, I had my experience. Uh, I got contempt of I got smart with the judge, and that's what I got. I did 10 days. Well, 30 days. Well, I wasn't in jail for Jesus, but. <laughs> here, 10 days, it said have tribulation 10 days. Yeah. I did 15, then I got probation violation, and they gave me another 90 days, so I had to do uh, that. Mm-hmm. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Now, as I said, normally I am very much in one that says that it's literal, but I don't believe that this ten days literally means ten physical days because no tribulation period has ever been ten days in the history of the church. I did a lot of witnessing, at least in the right. I God put me there, and I yeah. did the best of it to make to go to a Bible study, and I got to witness to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And this could literally be 10 days, but I think it really is just a kind of a euphemism for a short time. You're, you're going to have testing for your tribulation for a short time. And I'm not going to be dogmatic about it because it says 10 days, and there's no reason why it can't be 10 days, except that 10 days is really a short time for tribulation. You read the history of the church, and a 10-day tribulation period the people would be celebrating for. You know, it's, usually it's, it's years or 10 years of, of uh, tribulation, not not just a short 10-day period. So uh, it does say 10 days. It could be 10 days, but I'm not. 10 days of torture. No, you, 10 days of torture is still bad, but that would, um, And then it says, be faithful unto death. God wants us to be faithful no matter what. Uh, and in this case, he's taken to the extreme. Be faithful all the way unto death. And I think of things like Paul and Silas in the Philipp Philippian jail where they'd been beaten, and what are they doing at midnight singing hymns and, and psalms to God? You know, that poor jailer must have thought they were absolutely nuts. They've been beat, they, they're in pain, that nobody, nobody took care of their wounds. There's, there's rats all around them, it stinks, it's dark, they're in, they're in pain, and here they are singing. 
Yeah. Have you ever been in the middle of a situation where everybody around you is like falling apart and you're just in the peace of God? Yeah. I was reading about the, the, the jealousy of Saul and David or, or the, I can't remember his name, and, and uh, who was jealous of Moses. There's actually a guy jealous of Moses. Uh, there was Korah, there was Mer uh, Miriam, Miriam, there was Miriam. Aaron. Uh, Miriam, he was jealous. And, that, and those were his brother and sister. Is that they were jealous, and jealous of jealous? him. Uh, and God judged them. Yeah. But God is saying, I want you to be faithful. And as we are tested, it is really, all tests are really a test of are we going to be faithful? Is what I believe really going to come out? And the unfortunate thing is we fail so often. But the more we're in God's word, the more we're, we're praying, the more we're with his people, the more we're, we're, we're centered on looking at God, the more our flesh has been crucified and we're living in the spiritual, we'll be more successful more often. I always pray to God that my faith will always life to the end of death. You don't know. We don't know. I've been following God for 40 years, and I'm, I'm not even confident enough to say that if I was looking down the barrel but, of a gun, what, sure. what would I do? You know, without his grace, I can't be confident that I would confess him at that point. Yeah. I believe that I would because I've been following him for as long as I, I have, but you don't know until you're there doing it. And I've failed enough tests of what do I believe and failed the test that I can't be absolutely sure that if I was facing death that I would be willing to say, yes, I'm going to follow you, God. I would like to say, yes, I'm, I know I'm ready to die for you, God. And well, I, and I think there's, I'm, I'm pretty out. sure that yeah. I would be, but until you face that situation, you don't know. It's the same situation as when you've learned to love somebody and you've learned, you know, and God's thrown a number of people at you, and all of a sudden he throws that really hard person to love at you because he thinks you're ready he, for that test, and you fail, you, you fall flat test. on your face because, you know, because you find you don't love as much as you thought you did. And you fail a bunch of times. Yeah, and God keeps allowing us to do it. So we don't know what's going to happen until we do it, and, and if we're trying to do it in our strength, we will fail. It is a guarantee that if we try to do it in our own strength, our own flesh, we will fail whatever the test is. It could be the kindergarten test, and we're in college, and we'd probably fail it if we tried to do it in our own strength. Because God is not going to let our, our flesh exalt itself. And so the more we're in the Spirit, the more we're walking with God, the more we're in His Word, the more we're thinking like God. Because isn't the flesh sin and spirit is... Pretty much. Pretty much. The flesh wants to sin. Yeah. Now, when, when you're doing something wrong, the flesh is getting its way. And that's why, that is why Galatians 2.20 is one of my favorite verses. We are crucified with Christ. Okay? And if our flesh isn't being crucified, isn't staying up, being stuck on that cross, it's going to be on its way. And the great news is, the more we're in his word, the more we're being taught, the more our thinking will change to be like God. And that's what you've said so many times. You know, your, your mind is changing. You're thinking different. And... God will keep throwing new things at us to see, you know, keep changing, keep our mind changing. But it is wonderful. The more you walk with God, the more your mind is shifting from the world's way of thinking into a biblical world view. And that's why I share with people things I used to watch on TV that I never even thought twice about watching. They were, they were funny sitcoms. Not that, I'm not talking about bad, you know, yeah. blood and sex oh, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. I'm talking about 
some of the sitcoms and stuff that weren't really in the day I never thought any twice about them. Now I watch them and going, this is so anti-God. How could I have ever have watched it? Because where I've grown to. Now, if I started sitting down and watching them and vegetating in front of them, I'd probably get to where they were okay and start working backwards. But I don't want to go there. Well, it's like I used to always watch this one program all the time in, on Monday night. But for some reason, which I think I really don't know why, but the channel does not come on that hour. <laughs> it does not come on. And I finally decided, you know, I didn't need to watch it. You didn't need to watch it anyway. And so at first, I really was upset. I'll try to get the internet. Move the internet. Won't work. Won't. But during the day, that that channel comes in. But at that hour, every night, or maybe an hour before, it does not come in. And I would try. <laughs> I figured, you know, forget it. I don't need to watch. God doesn't want me to watch. Can I yes, come watch I like. it? No, I have just a, just a. I can't get anything. I have just hand. the antenna. I can't get anything with my antenna. Oh uh, no, I get a lot of things, but uh, mm. it's where funny. Where you live, but it, up where I live, just a couple blocks, I can't get anything. I get mm. it, but but it's just so funny because I know there's a reason for it, and I figured it's fine because I didn't need to watch it really in the first place. Yeah, but I didn't idle it. But yeah. kind of, you know. But and, and that's a good point because we never know we never know what's what's going out there. Uh, we never know what's out there, but the tests are out there and the tests are always gonna be and something I, that challenges. He us. was testing me to see am I really gonna get upset because I used to always watch it for all the time. Mm -hmm. And now I figure I don't need to watch it. Man, I tried the antenna. I, think, I don't get T V fine, I can read the Bible more. Yeah. And the more we fill ourselves with his thoughts the more we get sensitive to what, when we see the world. And this has been the big process that's going out. Do you have a world, a satanic or a worldly worldview, or do you have a biblical worldview? The only way to get a biblical worldview is to be in the Bible, be in the Spirit, be taught. And slowly, God changes your mind around. You, know, you start with God saying, I want you to tithe. God, I can't afford to tithe. Well, give something, you know. So we start giving something, and, and we start reading the scriptures, and we realize, well, I really should be tithing. And, you know, and then we start tithing, and then we wonder why we ever didn't tithe. And then we start giving an offering on top of the tithe. And, you know, and God changes the way we look at things. He changes the way we, you know, like I said, the way you watch TV, what you, what you spend your time doing. Uh, I used to be a football fanatic, and is there anything wrong with football? Not necessarily, except when you were spending 15 hours a week watching, 15 hours a weekend watching it. You know, that's maybe pushing it a little bit too far. But, but God is basically pulled that out of me and saying, you, and, and my attitude is, you know, there's so many better things I can do. You know, I can read my Bible. I can go talk to people for, for, for the for the three-hour game time. You know, and this whole idea of what are we doing to be faithful. We're to be faithful. Faithful in the little things, not just unto death, but yeah. faithful in all the little things. And I think I think it's harder to be faithful in the little things sometimes than the Maybe. than the idea of God, I'm I'm ready to die for you. But that's a pretty easy test. If you're looking down the barrel of the gun, and once it's that's a yeah. you know you're in the middle of the test. Okay, am I gonna say I trust God or not? That that is an obvious test. <laughs> you know. But when you're sitting there on this little thing, okay, God, I'm at this party where everybody knows I'm a Christian, and you know, do I take this drink or not? Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that drink unless God told you not to drink. You know, I'm not going to take the drink because number one, I'm a pastor, and it wouldn't look good. But uh, even before that, I never wanted to drink, and it didn't make any sense to me. But everybody's looking at you. What are you going to do? Well, it's like probably since two o seven. 
I used to drink, not a lot, you know, I used to drink barbecue and stuff, but I promised myself and that uh, without, but this one guy, he had an alcoholic in him that he would like me not to drink. So I figured, you know, you were going to a lot of them. Ever since then, I promised myself and I promised God, and then there people say, don't you want to drink? I said, you know what? I don't know if this is the right answer. And I said, I promised myself. And then I, they kept saying, well, wow. I said, and the other promise, I promised God that I would never, ever have any alcohol again. And I said, and, and I said, and if I can't keep that promise, I'm not going to be dead. Yeah. If I can't keep that promise, and I have it, and, and I don't want it. Yeah. And so they look at me like, you can have one. I said, I don't want it. And so, about, so everybody knows that I don't drink anymore. Yeah. I don't want, not even, when they have food, when there's alcohol, I said, within that, I said, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was never an alcoholic, but I had, you know, like one food and yeah. that, you know, but, but I don't miss it, you know, and yeah. I figure in, and if I, I am, but I am so strong on that. I said, why can't I be strong on other things like that? It might, it might happen. It might happen. Give give time. God will God will get you stronger. But each one of us, it's really becomes the difference between a desire and a conviction. If somebody's really convicted by God about something, they're pretty much not going to relent. And it takes time to get a conviction. It takes time, but a conviction is so deep in you that you know it is something you don't even worry about. This is the only thing I've ever ever yeah. really did. Because now, because I do, I do watch how I pray. Like if I say something, I'm gonna have to follow through it. Yeah. So I, but this, that one thing, I did. Yeah. When I was in high school, they they gave us an example of the difference between conviction and desire, and they go, you have a bacon and egg breakfast. The chicken was a contributor to it. <laughs> the the pig was convicted. He he had to die for you to get his. The the chicken just provided something yeah. to it. And and you know that really is kind of a true story. I mean it's an extreme, but it really yeah. is. My convictions, I will die for my convictions because they're that strong in me. And good convictions of course come from the word of God and through God changing you. But you there comes that point where you're so convicted that you will not break that conviction. And there's some things you're just dedicated to, you know. Okay, God, you know, if it's convenient, I'll do it. If yeah. it's not convenient, I'll, but there are certain things that you're so convicted. Uh, I've got a friend who's been convicted by God about anything that uses God's name in vain, and he used to have about two or three hundred movies. He's down to about twenty. He might be up again now after having bought some from, you know, specifically that didn't use God's name in vain. But if he wants to take his kids or his wife out to a movie, he will look up the movie and says. Do, does this review place say that they use God's name in vain? If they do, doesn't matter how much he wants to see that movie, he's not going to see it. And if he, if somehow it slipped through and he ends up going to a movie where it slipped through the reviewer and he kills, he'll walk out because it used God's name in vain. Now, what does that mean, like on that guy and like me? Because I am so, I mean, there's like, to be honest, I probably would die. If somebody was going to pour down alcohol down me, I would not want it mm-hmm. because I because I promised myself because it's God, a conviction to you. It's a conviction, and because I even had a dream about that one time, and yeah. you know I won't do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not saying glad, but in my twenties now, that would have been a different story, maybe. <laughs> well, this particular gentleman, like I said, if he went, if somehow it made it past the reviewer, and he uses a station, he uses a review place that actually looks for God's name being taken in vain along with other 
of any other things. Uh, but if they missed it and he went to one that used God's name in vain, and he's very strict on it. If, if he sees where teenagers use OMG, yeah. I mean, which is, oh my God, he will. Yeah, I didn't know that. That is using that God's name in vain, and he won't, and that a lot of times will pass through reviewers because they don't really think of that as, yeah. you know, being God's name in vain, but that is taking God's name lightly and vainly. And to him, and I understand, and I've always had that. I've, I've hated that term forever because it is, it is using God's name in vain, and is it's no better than, than somebody cursing somebody with God's name because it is using his name lightly, and so this is how strict he is on it. You know, so any shows that are designed for teenagers may slip past the, that review because of that phrase being used by by the teenage, you know, characters, and he won't he won't deal with it. So. Conviction, you know, conviction will take you places, and people, people will sometimes look at your convictions and say, "Well, that's crazy." Well, it may be crazy to you, but this is where God has taken me, and and I don't try to even with my family when they're watching some of those older, you know, good shows that I see see against God, and I just it, it irritates me. I don't try to tell my family they can't watch it. I will just go to another room and and do something else, uh, and. And like I say, many of these shows that I'm walking away from when I was younger, I watched and enjoyed. Didn't think anything of them. Didn't think anything of them because God had, hadn't moved me to that point yet. But there's so many things. And like I say, I've said before, I don't like most comedians. I mean, most comedians nowadays are foul mouth, but even the ones that people consider good, they're making thing, fun of things that I think are very unfunny to make fun of, like family and marriage. I don't think it's funny to make fun of, I mean, I'll, I'll accept fun of family long before I will make, accept fun of marriage. I do not like any jokes about marriage out there. Even some of the speakers that I listen to on the radio, they will make us, you know, the quote unquote funny joke about, about marriage. One of them this day, you know, one of them this morning even said, you know, I've learned how to end an argument. The answer is yes, dear. You know, and there's people who think that's a hilarious, you know, joke. And I don't because it's, you know, not a joke to me. It is just it's almost offensive, you know. I've and seen my uncle practice that for fifty six yeah, years. Well I know there's lots of men who actually practice it. And he says, Yes dear, yes dear, and he said, That's what you gotta do. And then does exactly the opposite, so it's we don't usually mean it, so it's but he does mean it. He yeah. means it sincerely and and then marriage worked out. Yeah. Really well I mean it is a good thing. I mean you've got to respect your wife. I mean I'm not saying that you don't respect your wife, but I mean you know, basically, they're saying you give up all, all all authority and say whatever your wife says you do, and that that's not what Scripture says. You know, yes, I want my wife's opinion. I wanna I wanna know what she thinks because my wife is smarter than me in a lot of areas as far as relationships. You know, and she sees things in relationships that I will never see, and so I need her advice on when when people are saying and doing things and it's relationship oriented. I need her advice and her help. Uh, well, most women do. Most women understand more about relationships and men will ever under you know, you know the dumbest woman on a relationship is probably four or ten times smarter than the, the smartest man on a relationship it just it works that way it's yeah. women naturally pick up cues and stuff women that people why do. men lie and it doesn't so. they did explanation is because men want to meet up with women's expectations and want to look better and they lie to do that but here's one a study I did on forgiveness. I need to remember not to remember the bad things that happened in the past. Mm -hmm. I've been trying to practice that. So remember not to remember the negative.
get, to renew my mind. I would actually turn that into a positive, purposely, purposely forget the past. I always say, yeah, water under the bridge. Yeah. Most often, I like to look at things in a positive light rather than a negative light. And that's just me because I like to, I like to battle against negatives. If you tell me I can't do something, I'm, I'm instantly wanting to do something. If you tell me you shouldn't do this because of this, I'm going, okay, you, first off, you put it in a positive light. I shouldn't do this. Uh, you know, is a much more positive way than saying don't do this. As often as possible, try to turn those axioms into a positive spin on them. To, to try to remember to forget is not the same thing as to purpose to not remember. End result is the same, but when you're when you're trying to not you know trying to remind yourself not to remember, then you're remembering because you're telling yourself yeah. not to remember. Okay. If I tell you don't think about the the sunshine out there, you're going to constantly think about the sunshine out there. You know, so by telling you not to do something, you're That's you're you you're telling it. somebody, you know, you automatically start thinking about what you're told not to think about. Well, so you can't forgive somebody if you're always going to remember what what they've done, because you're still gonna it's in your mind you you make it back up you give it life again, and you don't want to keep giving it life, and the more life you give it, the more it's going to stay stay you know stay there, and the more you you the bitterness rises up in but you. Then, but then sometimes I think I don't want to forget it because I don't want to do it again. You know, if you're following God and trying to follow the good side of things, you're not going to worry about it anyway. Okay. Yes, I understand what you're saying. But if, I'm, if my purpose is to live a positive, godly life, I'm not going to do what I'm trying to remember not to do. Because our character has already been built up. Right, because we're trying to live in a godly character, then I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to hurt people, I'm not going to... I'm not going to steal from them. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? If I'm, if I'm trying to live a godly life, the other stuff goes away by default. I don't have to worry about, well, should I steal this or not? No, you know, God says to be honest. You know, uh, should, I, should I tell this half too? No, God said to be honest. I don't, I don't have to worry. You know, I'm hoping I'm understanding that, but you're focusing on what God wants and the, and the bad and negative disappears. And it, it dwindles away and you don't, you're not concentrating on that. You're concentrating on who I am, who God wants me to be, and going forward because he's put everything under the blood and forgiven it and if we keep dragging it out to try to remember it he's got saying well i already dealt with that what are you what are you playing with that again for and he's wanting us to go forward move forward well, that's why I, I think i told you before and he said but but it just helps me out like when i'm thinking i'm like well, what did jesus do what he wouldn't be thinking of what i'm thinking this is something you know mm -hmm. Okay, and he says, if you're faithful, uh, be faithful in death, and I will give you the crown of life. This is the reward at the end of heaven that we're going to have a crown of life. And I believe that as long as we're faithful, that would be where we get. God's going to give us a crown. We've got life, and then to get the crown. And this is Zoe. This word for life is Zoe, which, is, which in the New Testament refers to spiritual eternal life. So it is the crown of eternal life. And this is powerful, you know, this is just one of those rewards. The crown, if you, when you think about crown in the, in the scriptures, it's talking about not what we would think about, a great big crown, but the wreath that the, the Olympic runners would win. It was just a laurel crown that they would put on, and it indicated that they were a winner. You won something. And this one is you won, you were faithful, you won life. You won, you won, you, you were faithful, and God is saying, here's your, here's your reward. Here's the reward for being faithful. And the greatest thing I want to hear when I enter into heaven is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to, with all my desire, I want to hear God say, 
well, well done, a good and faithful servant. I would hate to hear him say, well, you made it in by grace only, so come on in. But I want to hear him, well done. Well done. And hopefully that's where all of us are. Will we be perfect? Absolutely not. Will we, will we have problems in our life? Absolutely. I'm hoping that. It took you a while, but it's well done. But I don't even care if it's, it took you a while, but well done. Yeah. You, you, you changed. You, you allowed me to work in your life. And that's what it really is. We allow him to work in our life. Because when we're baptized into the Holy Spirit, it's the Spirit that changes us. It really is the Spirit that makes the change. Our flesh is crucified and God changes us. And when we get to heaven, we should be well on our way to being you know, changed when we finally get, to the, get there and be glorified. And because it's all God. And the more I think that I have anything to do with it, the further away from it I am. If I start thinking, I can do this, I'm in trouble. You know, if I think, I can get over this sin, I can do this, you know, anytime you start hearing you, you, yourself use the word I, be careful. <laughs> because the I part of that is bad news. Uh, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay? And a lot of people just like that first part, I can do all things. No, 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 no. You've got to have the rest. You've got to have the rest of that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, otherwise, it's going to be I can fall flat on my face every time I try to do something. <laughs> if I'm not walking in God's in the strength of God, I'm going to fall flat on my face. It's a guarantee because no flesh can stand before God. He's not going to let us do things and say, God, look at what I did. He's just not going to let that happen. It's only thing that will stand in front of him is what he, what we have allowed him to do through our body and through our life. And this is why it's so important, Jim. I am much further along today after 40 years of walking with God than I was 40 years ago, but it's all him doing it. It's him changing me. And the thing that I have learned over the years is God just crucify me and you, and you change this. When I've given up things, it isn't me sitting there striving to change things and, and make my life different. It's God saying, I'm just taking this away from her. Are you ready for me to take it away from you? And I can guarantee you there's been times when I said, no, I'm not ready for this to be taken away, God. And he goes, okay. <laughs> and lets me wallow around in the sin a little bit. And then he comes along and says, well, are you ready for it to be gone now? <laughs> you know? And I, like I said, I'm a pretty slow learner. Sometimes it's taken me a long time to say yes. Other times, I, other times I've said yes quickly, and I'm getting quicker at saying yes to God than I used to be. But we all get that sometimes. When God says, especially if it's something we really like doing or something that, you know, that it, it's not real bad, God. It's just a little bad, you know. And, you know, and God's saying, I, I really like you to take that out of your life, you know. And, and this is where I get to this whole idea. Some people are sinning if they do something and some aren't. And in some cases, it's something really ridiculously small uh, that... <coughs> that comes in. God, God a long time ago, I used to criticize presidents and political officer, officers all the time. I still do a little bit because I'm a little crazy about it, but not like I used to. And God says, are you praying for them? And I go, no. Nope. He goes, then you can't be talking about them at all. So for a while, I had to stop talking about them at all because I never prayed for them and literally never prayed for them because I didn't want them in office. I didn't even want them blessed. I should have been praying for them that they would get God's wisdom. But but God said, no, you, don't you talk about those people. 
And, and so it's very important. What are we doing? I guess doing? that's why I don't talk about it. Because I don't well, it's between each individual, well, but that was what God told me. Well, I just forget to. Sometimes I do, like, when I do reach the president to again, you know, just pray for your But it, it's a scary place to be right now because we've got leaders in our government that are taking this country the wrong way and, and leading it right in right into the pit of hell. And they're and it's very hard, number one, to pray for them. But it's, you know, but it's scary at the same time because this country is getting what it deserves by what by the sin that this company this country allows. And the sadder thing about it is it's the church that has not done its job to stop and be the salt to stop the sins that have been going on. And it may or may not be too late for the church to change them around, but if it's going to be changed, it starts at the church, confessing sin and preaching, preaching sin is sin and challenging people to say, you cannot go this way because it is sin. And there's a lot of churches out there that won't call sin, sin, because they're afraid to offend somebody with God's word. Sin is sin. You know, and as far as, as long as I'm pastor, we're going to talk about sin being sin. And if you like it, great. If you don't, great. <laughs> Because it's sin. doesn't matter to me what people think about it. God says it's sin. The world may be telling us that homosexuality is normal and people are born that way, but God calls it sin. sin. Uh, they may, he may say that drunkenness is a disease and, they, and, and, and all that, but God calls it a sin. You know, God calls adultery a sin. He's not, it's not an alternate lifestyle. You know, it's, you know, living together outside of marriage is a sin. It's fornication. It's a sin. You know, and we're going to call sin a sin. Does that mean we're going to throw everybody out of the church and sins? No. But we're going to call sin a sin and, and make people stand before God and say, you heard that it was a sin. You, you, you didn't have somebody telling you it wasn't. And this is why it's important we teach the word of God. Not to condemn people, not to, but to bring them to God. To bring them into confession, to confession with God and to bring them to a better state. It's what they do with the word is up to them. What I do with the word is up to me. God isn't standing up there and said, okay, look at that. You read that. You're doing that. You know, get your life. You know, he starts that, but it's up to me on whether I'm going to listen to him and obey. Each one of us stands before God. And this is why it's critical for us to not judge one another. You know, because number one, I don't know where somebody's at. I don't know what God's teaching them. All I know is that God loves them and he's asking me to love them. And very critical because people can judge me, and I've got somebody who's judged me for where for things that I've done and what I've done, and they don't know where I'm at and, and why I do some of the things that I do and what the reasons are. And then that, they've judged me for that, and it's like it irritates me that they judge me. You know, but I just have, I have to love them and say, okay, fine. You know, but it makes it hard when I'm near that person and saying, I just want to I just want to tell you, you know, that you're wrong on that, but it's you know. You know, so I've got to learn to forgive that person and myself, you know, and it's, and it's tough. It's like I forget what, first get the plank out of your yeah. and then the out of And then you can take the speck. Of the dust out of the other yeah, then the speck of dust out of the person's eye. But get them. And literally that, when you read it in the Greek, it, it is literally talking about a great big pole, like a telephone pole, now, sticking out of your that? eye. Yeah. Is that in? I know it. Matthew. Oh, yeah. I like that one. Because yeah. especially then it looked look funny, I would think of something and have to see my eye. Well, okay, I'm thinking about what you get that blank out of your eye first, and you can do what you're doing. And that's why we want to be very careful about judging. I mean, God says that all of His servants stand and fall before Him. Now, who are we to judge His ser you know, His servants? You know, and it's 
and it's very important on that. You know, and it can irritate. It bugs us to you know bugs us, but it, it is we need to learn forgiving and and not to judge others as well. And verse eleven, he that has an ear, let him hear. That's a statement that's going to be all through the churches. You know, if you're capable of hearing, yeah. And this isn't just having ears; it is literally spiritual hearing. What the Spirit says to the churches: He that overcometh shall not be hurt in the second death. And what is an overcomer? Does anybody remember what overcomer is? First John, five, four, and five. It, he that overcomes has eternal life. Any Christian is an overcomer. Okay, so every time, every time we see this in the seven church letters to the seven churches, he that overcomes is not somebody who has power in him of, of himself. It is a person who is a Christian. They are an overcomer. First John five four five. Mm -hmm. Four. First John five four and five. Every place we see that. It was going to be that exact phrase, and here it is. For whosoever is born of God overcomes the world, and is, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We are saved. We are overcomers. We have victory. Why? Because it's Jesus' victory. <laughs> that we live in because we are made new crea creations we are we are dead to the flesh and made into a new spiritual being we are the overcomers and this is the greatest thing for us to believe when we stand and satan is tempting us and testing us we can go to satan and say i am an overcomer because jesus paid the price Okay. When we fail, I am an overcomer because Jesus paid for this failure. And I'm not, in, and by God's grace, I'm not going to do it again. And when I fail the next day, by God's grace, I'm not going to do it the next day. And eventually we look back and say, well, I'm not doing it anymore. Because of his grace, I am an overcomer. Because of his blood, I overcome it. And it says that those that overcome shall not be hurt in the second death. Second death is when death and Hades is cast into the lake of fire. Revelation 20, verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that has part of the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. They shall be the priest of God and Christ and reign with him for a thousand years. And then we go into uh, Revelation 20, verse 14, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay? For us as Christians, we're not even really going to experience the first death. We just transition from this world into heaven with, in, in, in the presence of God. What was the first one in Revelation? 20, verse 8. And then 20, verse 14. But for those who reject Christ, it's going to be terrible for them. They get to die twice. They get to die and spend time in, in Hades, and then death and hell are cast into the lake of fire for eternity. And that's the second death, and that's the eternal, permanent death that they will suffer. And then uh, Revelation 21.8 says, But the fearful, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So... Bad news if you reject Jesus Christ, two deaths. 
two dead, two horrifying deaths to pay attention to. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and open it. We ask that you go with us and help us with all that we do today and guide us and lead us. Lord, help us to grow more and more in you and deeper and deeper into a biblical worldview, a spiritual worldview that you're in control of. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.